0: Listening to the Maniculum, pointing the finger at the Middle Ages, we bring you the choicest medieval nonsense. Discuss and evaluate it, then pillage it for our own geeky purposes. So, part two, Thanksgiving.
1: All right, yes. So, if you've listened to part one, which I'm going to assume that you did, either when it came out a couple days before this one, or Mm -hmm. just, just now, if you're binging. I'm going to assume that you did not decide to jump in with part two.
0: Although if you did, fair play. We are not judging.
1: I'm judging a little.
0: That's fair. I'm not judging. I've been that person.
1: I'm judging you now. (laughs) We got distracted and went on a lot of tangents, so we only got five pages into my ten-page document here.
0: (laughs) Oh dear. I feel like that's mostly, well, I don't know. I feel like that's, I was going to say it's mostly my fault, but to be fair, we both really enjoy Viking literature. So
1: yeah, I think it's on both of us. It's on both of us. But to summarize, to give you a quick previously on, we had some background on either the Deep Minded, who is an Icelandic matriarch and a former servant of hers who has a very attractive, hold on, I made a family tree.
0: Oh, I am impressed.
1: Granddaughter, very attractive granddaughter. Okay. Called Gudrider, who is one of our major characters. That's right. And then we also have Erik the Red, because this is the saga of Erik the Red. Mm -hmm. And he was exiled from Norway, or fled Norway, because of some killings. And then left Iceland because... Also some killings, but we got details on those. Yes, that's
0: true. That's true. Because this is, I mean, would this be considered one of the Icelandic sagas then?
1: It's usually put in that category because there are only two sagas about Greenlanders. This one and the saga of the Greenlanders. Makes sense. Both of which are just about expeditions to Vinland. Right, right.
0: Well, I just mean like as opposed to some some of the other Scandinavian sagas that we might find. These are more specifically the Icelanders.
1: Yes, these are the sagas of the Icelanders. Gotcha. Also, there is no surviving Greenland literature because the settlement at Greenland failed when the medieval warm period ended.
0: Fair enough. They do have a university there. There is an existing university in Greenland.
1: I mean, it's inhabited again now.
0: Well, yeah, I'm just saying. I I did not know there was an actual university there, but there is.
1: Basically, what happened is the continent lost touch with Greenland at some point in the late Middle Ages. And when they went there, they just found all of the settlements abandoned and it was much colder than it was supposed to be, or at least than they remembered it being.
0: But we did establish previously that this entire thing was a bait and switch. The whole Iceland-Greenland thing is the bait and switch that you think it is.
1: So probably some of the people who lived in Greenland... Just immigrated back to the continent. Some entirely plausibly went to Vinland and just stayed. Because mm-hmm. why wouldn't you?
0: Yeah, that's a nice part of Canada.
1: I'll take your word for
0: it. Well, I mean, I'm basing this off of Heidi. Or not Heidi, um, Anne of Green Gables. Because she, she's from that area. She's from that, that part of Canada.
1: Yeah. For some reason, I always assume that all of those children's books about unnaturally cheery young girls are British. <laughs>
0: I know you you have that in your head but no And so like as a, as a kid when I read these books I think we read them for school I don't remember but the one thing I recall I don't remember anything about these stories except that I really wanted to go to that part of Canada because it seemed really nice Fair. and yeah, I just wanted to frolic and go see the ocean and the sea so better than Greenland apparently yes. but I digress.
1: Okay, there is a famine in Greenland. There are lots of those, because it is very marginally habitable for anyone who's trying to live a European continental lifestyle, as opposed to the lifestyle of the indigenous people, which is actually adapted to the climate. Mm -hmm. They have a visit from a prophetess who has very fancy clothing, and she says the famine will end soon. And she also tells Guvidither, who is there, that she will marry soon, but her first marriage will be short. And then she'll marry again, and that will be a better marriage.
0: So this is not the first time, and I don't know why this didn't occur to me in our last episode about this, but there are surprisingly a fair number of prophecies about marriages in the sagas. Like, marrying and remarrying is a fairly common theme.
1: Well, I mean, of course. Like, think back. When you're a little kid, and you're what what is the, like one of the standard questions you ask for any of those little fortune tellers? Who am I going to marry? When am I going to marry them?
0: That's true. That's true. I'm just noticing that there is a substantial like remarrying trend here. I'm not surprised by the question of marriages. I'm I'm more surprised by how many times there are prophecies about, well, your third husband is going to be so-and-so and and have these traits.
1: Well, these husbands keep killing each other.
0: That's also true.
1: (laughs) But yeah. And that pretty much catches us up. I skipped over a bunch that's just about some guy trying to get with Gudrider and her family not being interested. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, chapter five. It's split up into little chapters. They're not of equal length. Just FYI. Erik had a wife who was named Thyodhilde and two sons. The one was named Thorstein and the other Lee. These sons of Eric were both promising men. Thorstein was then at home with his father. And there was at that time no man in Greenland who was thought so highly of as he. Leif had sailed to Norway and was there with King Olaf of Now, when Leif sailed from Greenland during the summer, he and his men were driven out of their course to the... The translation I'm using just says Sudrear, but that usually means the Hebrides. Okay. Sudrear just means southern islands.
0: That would make sense.
1: They were slow in getting a favorable wind from this place, and they stayed there a long time during the summer, reaching Norway about harvest-tide. He joined the bodyguard of King Olaf Trigvason, and the king formed an excellent opinion of him, and it appeared to him that Leif was a well-bred man.
0: Now, question. Remind me, is this the same family line of people who came from the not-so-good well-bred or the not-so-well-bred history? Or have we jumped families now?
1: Oh. Let me pull up my family tree.
0: Yeah. I'll put that in the blog so that we have it as well.
1: We do get Eric's and thus Leaf's family. They're no one significant. And Eric himself is just some guy who keeps killing people.
0: Okay. Okay. Because we did have the marriage issue where it's like, well, you're technically a churl or like a not, you're not a well-bred individual. Therefore, like, I'm not going to let you marry my daughter That's a different family. Okay, just making
1: sure. Although it should be noted that Oyther's family and the family of one of our other major characters, Thorfinn or Karlsefni, both are descended from royalty. And Eric is just, again, some guy. So in comparison to the other major characters, Leif is not well-bred.
0: Yeah, fair enough. But it's all the more impressive that he is, in fact, a major character in this story, given that he is not necessarily a royal character.
1: Yeah. Well, he's very lucky. True. Once Upon a Time. <laughs> For the listeners, I just made a face because that's a weird choice of translation. And that's what Zoe is reacting to.
0: Yeah, it, it's a very kind of Victorian or sort of neo-Victorian way to translate these stories because there is an element of Once Upon a Time or like um, Aloe history mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or like a history. Uh, it's like it's this fantasy time that exists but doesn't exist it's, it's the same thing as like long long time ago in a galaxy far far away it's it's fantasy world essentially so they're saying it happened in history but do we have an exact date for you no and we're just gonna slide around that yeah. but it's sort of it still is a weird way to to translate it
1: yeah and this is a victorian translation but right. the reason it struck me as weird is because the sentence is once upon a time the king entered into conversation with leaf so it's just picking up the thought that we were halfway through anyway oh all right I mean, it would have been much more reasonable to just say, one day. Uh, and asked him, Dost thou purpose sailing to Greenland in summer? Thief answered, I should wish so to do, if it is your will. The king replied, I think it may well be so. Thou shalt go my errand, and preach Christianity in Greenland.
0: Okay. Pretty predictable.
1: Yeah, To catch people up, Olaf Ertrigvasson is a major figure in the mm-hmm. Scandinavian conversion. And at this point, none of the major characters in this saga, except Gudrid there But we are do Christians.
0: have the prophetess, who is very explicitly a pagan.
1: Leif said that he was willing to undertake it, but that, for himself, he considered that message a difficult one to proclaim in Greenland. But the king said that he knew no man who is better fitted for the work than he. And thou shalt carry, said he, good luck with thee in it. That can only be, said Leif, if I carry yours with me. Leif set sail as soon as he was ready. He was tossed about a long time out at sea, and lighted upon lands of which before he had no expectations.
0: So a bunch of random little islands that he finds.
1: No. No. Welcome to Newfoundland.
0: Hey! <laughs> a, a bigger chunk of land.
1: They were fields of wild wheat and the vine tree in full growth. I'm assuming vine tree is just anything that grows berries or grapes.
0: That would make sense.
1: There were also the trees which were called maples and they gathered of all this certain tokens, some trunks so large that they were used in house building.
0: Which is actually highly impressive given that Iceland does not have trees. There's not a lot of trees in Iceland, and it was pretty well deforested when the original settlers got there. So the fact that they're pointing out these trees might sound weird, but it actually makes a lot of sense. Like that's a noteworthy thing that you've got you know big honking maples there that, that you can build houses out of
1: yeah and of course Greenland is kind of short on trees as right. well that's actually some of the evidence we have of continued trips to Vinland even though the sagas don't really acknowledge it is that there were um what's the word I'm looking for there were shipwrecked ships that were carrying North American timber
0: oh my gosh that's really cool oh.
1: Future Mac here. I am misremembering. This is not an archaeological item, but rather an item in the medieval Icelandic annals, which reads as follows. There came also a ship from Greenland, less in size than small Icelandic trading vessels. It came into the outer stream firth. It was without an anchor. There were 17 men on board, and they had sailed to Markland, but had afterwards been driven hither by storms at sea. And this was in 1347, or at least so the entry is dated, which indicates that for apparently a few hundred years after the events of this saga, there were people in Greenland who were still aware of the existence of North America and who went there presumably for timber. Yeah, so because... Obviously, if you're living in Greenland where there is no trees and no food, and Vinland is right over there and there's lots of trees and food, mm-hmm. even if you're for some reason determined to stay in Greenland, probably because the natives don't want you moving in, you're going to go get some trees and
0: food. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Leaf came upon men who had been shipwrecked and took them home with him and gave them sustenance during the winter, which is an interesting addition because it suggests that Leif isn't the first one to land in Vinland. He's just the first one to make it back.
0: That's interesting, yeah.
1: Like, probably people have been blown off course and ended up there before, but they haven't found their way back. Leif is just the first one to manage to get back to Europe. Fair enough. Thus did he show his great munificence and his graciousness when he brought Christianity to the land and saved the shipwrecked crew. He was called Leif the Lucky. Leif reached land in there and proceeded home to Bratathith. The people received him gladly. He soon after preached Christianity and Catholic truth throughout the land, making known to the people the message of King Olaf Tryggvason, and declaring how many renowned deeds and what great glory accompanied this faith. Eric took coldly to the proposal to forsake his religion, but his wife, Theodhildir, promptly yielded and caused a church to be built not very near the house.
0: <laughs> it's a notable addition. <laughs> yes. Her husband's like, nah, nah, put it over on the other hill.
1: The building was called Theodhildr's Church. Hey. In that spot, she offered her prayers, and so did those men who received Christ, and they were many. After she accepted the faith, Theodhildr would have no intercourse with Eric, and this was a great trial to his temple. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh no, interfaith marital struggles. It's a real thing. Yep. It's a real thing.
1: After this, there was much talk about making ready to go to the land which Leif had discovered, because... Again, they're living in Greenland, so I imagine most people are less interested in Christ and more interested in I'm sorry, you know a land of plenty. Why are we living in this frozen hellhole?
0: One could say it's a promised land of milk and honey, <laughs>
1: <laughs> probably not much milk
0: no, no, but if if I, don't, I, I don't were milk. leaf, that's how I would connect the two. yes,
1: that's you know. True
0: missionary tips
1: right there i guess you could have bison milk
0: oh i guess you could did bison go that far north
1: not that i know of i was just trying to think of any north american mammals that you could possibly get milk from yeah and that was the only one i could come up with
0: i've, I've still never heard of bison milk maybe caribou Maybe it's milk? not
1: very good that's true
0: caribou milk
1: i bet you do i bet people do get caribou milk
0: yeah i'd say so hmm. Ooh, pop quiz for our listeners and for you, I guess, what is the difference between a caribou and a reindeer?
1: I'm going to pause to allow our listeners to think about this, <laughs> and I will insert, like, a little musical thing here. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that there is no difference, and that the reindeer is just... Like the ones that are domesticated by the Sami, but they're the same species.
0: Yeah, you're correct. Yeah, reindeer are domesticated caribou. So caribou are wild and reindeer are domesticated. And that's literally the only difference, which is why it makes sense that Santa has reindeer and not caribou because they're domesticated. Like, I don't know why I. That is always the first thing that pops into my mind is like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Santa has reindeer and not caribou, even though they're the same animal. But it's also why you can find reindeer sausage in Alaska, but you can't find caribou sausage in Alaska unless you get it from a neighbor. Because reindeer are farmed and caribou are not. They're hunted.
1: Do reindeer sausage and caribou sausage taste different? No. Okay.
0: I mean, like, one, one is slightly gamier because the, the product they're eating is different, but they don't taste different. You can just find reindeer sausage in the grocery store and caribou sausage you can't.
1: This is what I'm sure will be a recurring segment of bizarre things that Zoe has eaten while living in Alaska.
0: I'm sure, among other places.
1: I mean, it's better than some of the stuff you get in Scandinavia.
0: That's true. Like fermented shark spin.
1: That's exactly what I was thinking Uh, of, yeah.
0: I wouldn't do that.
1: I would not do that. Anyway, they want to go back to Finland. Thorstein, Eric's son, was the chief mover in this. A worthy man, wise and much liked. Eric was also asked to go, and they believed that his luck and foresight would be of the highest use. He was for a long time against it, but did not say nay when his friends exhorted him to go. They made ready the ship which Thorbjorn had brought there, and there were twenty men who undertook to start in her. They had little property, but chiefly weapons and food. On the morning when Eric left home, he took a little box, which had in it gold and silver. He hid the money, and then went forth on his journey.
0: Okay. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, it is, isn't it?
0: That is not the first instance of an Icelandic saga where we have buried treasure.
1: No, they do that a lot. It's because they don't have banks.
0: I mean, I guess, but I still... I mean, what other cultures deliberately bury money like that? Like, this that's, this is not, like, a really... Pirates. Well, see, that's what I'm thinking. It's like, okay, so pirates <laughs> do it, and Vikings do it, which I guess you could say is, like, a type of pirate, which is reasonable.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I would say they're a type but, of pirate. Uh,
0: yes, obviously. But I'm trying to think of, like, okay, so there's not really an Irish tradition of this. There's not really an English tradition. Like, I can't... I'm not that familiar with French and German tradition, but they, they're not going around burying treasure,
1: well, a lot of the treasure that they dig up in Iceland is just burial goods.
0: Right, right. But from Which from a,
1: other places did do
0: right, and that's to be expected. But we're having explicit, repeated mentions of people deliberately going away and burying treasure to hide it.
1: Yeah, it's usually surly old men. Yeah, too. that's true. I think it's just the uh, medieval equivalent of like grumpy misers who hide all their cash in the mattress. <laughs> Fair enough.
0: I just wouldn't expect it from Leaf the Lucky because the other analog I'm thinking of is Aeth, um, right? Aex Kalakrimis' son. Yeah. And the reason he does that is he's just a surly, surly old guy. But I wouldn't really expect that from Leaf.
1: You would be correct in not to expect it from Leaf because this is something Eric did.
0: Oh, then that makes a, a lot more sense. Okay. <laughs> Clearly, I'm following the genealogies and names here. Yes. Obviously. Yeah, it's like the Silmarillion all over again.
1: You know, I bet there's some inspiration there. Hmm, probably. He had proceeded, however, but a little way when he fell from his horse and broke his ribs and injured his shoulder. At this accident, he sent word to his wife that she should take away the money that he had hidden, declaring his misfortune to be a penalty paid on account of having hid the money.
0: Oh, well that solves that problem. That makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Afterwards, they sailed away out of Eric's fear there with gladness as their plan seemed to promise success. It doesn't say clearly, but I'm pretty sure Eric did not accompany them. I think he stayed home because he now has broken ribs.
0: That also makes a lot of sense.
1: They were driven about for a long time on the open sea, and came not into the track which they desired. Which I assume was the long straight track that leads to Valinor.
0: <laughs> I'm liking the references here.
1: They came in sight of Iceland, and also met with birds from the coast of Ireland. I like that phrasing. Met with birds.
0: That's a That's Hello. a great phrase. It's like, oh, hello there.
1: How are you? They sat down and had a conference with some birds.
0: Yes. See, what kind of what kind of birds would they be, do you think?
1: I don't know. What's on the coast of Ireland?
0: Well, puffins. Puffins are migratory birds. So I would expect they might see some puffins depending on the season. And then what was once referred to as penguins, and they weren't actually penguins. Let me find the name of the actual bird. Uh, but they're now extinct. Let's see. Ox. Well, I would expect them to see some like sea hawks.
1: No, not hawks, ox. AUK. Yeah,
0: oaks, AUK. Yes, yes, yes. That's exactly the bird. Because they like those things are big. Yes. And so I would ex- I guess I would expect to see like giant ox, the great oak.
1: Yeah, they might.
0: Which went extinct literally due to hunting, which is what annoys me. Like they knew where the last one was and they still killed it. And it just makes me, Absolutely. oh, it makes me really mad. But yeah.
1: Incidentally, just throwing this out there, the fact that these great auks that used to be called penguins, this is why penguin is a Welsh word, even though there are no penguins in Wales.
0: I did not know that. That is so cool.
1: I'm pretty sure.
0: That totally makes
1: sense. Yeah. Uh, apparently Welsh has the phrase, I can't pronounce it, but it's. I assume it sounds kind of like penguin, which means white head.
0: Huh. And that makes sense. If you're around a computer, look up the great auk at UK because they are big birds. They're kind of they're not as big as dodos were, but they're big birds that lived off the coast. They sort of look like a cross between a puffin and a, peng- a penguin. But yeah, so I would I would expect them to see some auks. Cannon. Yes. I see. I always wonder about that because in the beautiful Old English poem, The Seafarer, it talks about the different types of waterfowl that they, they're they seeing. And so I always wonder, because they mentioned the eagle and stuff, but I always wonder if there were just these giant birds that were called penguins flying around.
1: Did they fly? I thought they were flightless. They
0: might be flightless. Because the, the smaller ones can fly.
1: I assume great auks can swim.
0: They can definitely swim. Let me see. Oh, no, nope, they are flightless. You are correct. So they were flightless, but they would have been around. And it does say they would go as far as Greenland and Newfoundland. There you go. Yeah. Anyway, there's some there's some imagery for you to speckle into the story as you imagine it.
1: Oh, I see. Yeah. They must have been able to swim because according to the diagram of their approximate range, it covers most of the North Atlantic. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, maybe they ran into some large swimming auks. Yeah. There we go. Then was their ship tossed to and fro on the sea. They returned about harvest tide, worn out by toil and much exhausted and reached Eric's fjord at the beginning of winter. Then spake, Eric, you were in better spirits in the summer when you went forth out of the Firth than you are in now. And yet for all that, there is much to be thankful for. Thorsten replied, It is a chieftain's duty now to look after some arrangement for these men who are without shelter and to find them food. Eric answered, That is an ever true saying. You know not until you have got your answer. I will now take thy counsel about this. There you go. All those who had no other abodes were to go with the father and the son. Then came they to land and went forth home. Now, the um, subtext of this whole conversation is, Thorsten just tried to go to North America, somehow ended up in <laughs> Ireland, and then came home as a failure. And Eric's just like, you were happier when you
0: left. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. You look sad now. I was going to ask about that, because I, I, w- I was sitting there thinking, like, Weren't they going to Vinland? Weren't they trying to get to Newfoundland and all of a sudden they're they're looking at these birds off the coast of Ireland? Yeah. They got How lost. do you mess up that many thousands of miles?
1: I assume just bad weather.
0: I guess. Like you really have to get turned around. Like and I can't say anything here because like I can do some navigation, I've done some sailing, but I've pretty much always been in the sight of land. I've crossed the English Channel. But that is not the Atlantic. So it is 100% reasonable for them to get turned around. But at the same time, if you look at a map, you're thinking like, okay, you know, you turn right and you just keep going.
1: Yeah, basically. You head due southwest and you'll hit it. Right.
0: So I'm kind of, I'm kind of impressed. Ireland is southeast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of impressed that they managed to go the wrong way. Like 180 degrees.
1: Right. Well... At least 90 degrees. At least 90
0: degrees. True enough.
1: Now after this, I have to tell you how Thorsten Eriksson began wooing Gudhrider, Thorbjörn's daughter. Apparently no one told him about that prophecy that said her first marriage would be short.
0: Ooh. Yikes.
1: To his proposals, a favorable answer was given, both by the maid herself and also by her father.
0: That's good. Okay, question. Digression. Do you think that they one, believed in the prophecy, and two, if they did, then how loudly would they put that out there? Like, was this sort of like a, yeah, 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 Well, like, you marry this guy, he's got good prospects, you take his money. Is this like an insurance scam thing where they know, do you think? (laughs) I think it
1: is. Like, I bet she's thinking like, well, I mean, he literally cannot hit North America with a boat, but he's from a prominent family. So he seems like a good short first marriage. yeah.
0: You know, like, how how pl- well planned was this? Because you do have the prophecy. So you can kind of stake your bets. And there wasn't really a description of what the first husband would look like. So you can sort of take your pick. Yeah. Street smarts. Just saying. If you have a prophecy, think about your marriages. Line them up.
1: Also, note that both she and her father agree to the marriage. Because mm-hmm. this is one of the recurring things in the sagas is... Sometimes you'll only get one or the other agreeing, and that tends to lead to trouble. The marriage was also arranged so that Thorstein went to take possession of his bride, and the bridal feast was held at Bratasith in the autumn. The banquet went off well and was numerously attended. Thorstein owned a homestead in the Vestebügt. There are two settlements in Greenland. The western settlement, Vestrebygd, and the eastern settlement. Okay. On the estate known as Jussifiede. The man who is called Thorstein owned the other half of the homestead. This is a different Thorstein.
0: Okay. That's good to know. They do reuse names a lot in this culture.
1: Yeah. uh, You may be used to fiction in which, you know, I think TV Tropes calls it the one Steve limit. (laughs) Where, like, you can't have a bunch of people with the same name unless Mm -hmm. it's a plot point. Right. But in the sagas, since they're based on historical documents, and let's be honest, Iceland only has a limited amount of names... There tend to be a lot of this, like, oh, yeah, yeah no, this is this is uh, Olaf Blackbeard or something. Right. And this is Olaf the Fat. And this is Olaf, Olafson.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's why you have those little naming conventions, is you have to tell the difference between all these people, you know, who have the same name. Mm-hmm. And then there's, like, Thorstein versus Thorir. And you get lots of variations. Yeah, like,
1: half of the names start with
0: Thor. Right. Not that they had a favorite god or anything.
1: No. Anyway, this other Thorsten had a wife named Sigrid. Thorsten went, during the autumn, to Ljusufjöðr, to his namesake, i.e., the other Thorsten. Both he and Kúðrýðr. Uh This is another interesting thing you see in uh, Old Norse or Old Icelandic, depending on who you ask. Those are the two names the language is called. We have the term namesake in English that means like someone is literally named after someone else, mm-hmm. but the equivalent in Old Norse doesn't actually translate directly the same. It just means someone who has the same name as someone else because it was such a common issue that they have a special word for it.
0: That is impressive. I like that. That is very cool. Uh,
1: Future Mac will tell us what that word is because he will look it up later. There we go. The word is napni for men and napna for women. It's also just the dative singular of the word for name, their reception was a welcome one. They were there during the winter, when little of the winter was passed. The event happened there that fever broke out on their estate. The overseer of the work was named Garth.
0: A solid name.
1: Yes. Yeah, so everyone picture the guy from Wayne's World, <laughs> or don't, because this is this character doesn't stick around for long, and it's not, and he's not great. Because the next sentence, here are the next two sentences. Oh no. He was an unpopular man. He took the fever first and died. That's
0: convenient. (laughs) Yes. Methinks a curse was involved, but that can't be proven.
1: Afterwards, and with but little intermission, one took the fever after another and died. Then Thorsten Eriksson fell ill, and also Sigrid, the wife of his namesake Thorsten. And one evening Sigrid left the house and rested a while opposite the outer door. And Guthrie there accompanied her. And they looked back towards the outer door, and Sigrid screamed out aloud. Guthrie there said, We have come forth unwarily, and thou canst in no wise withstand the cold. Let us even go home as quickly as possible. It is not safe as matters are, answered Sigrid. There is all that crowd of dead people before the door. Thorsten, thy husband also, and myself I recognize among them. And it is a grief thus to behold.
0: Oh wow! So she's seeing herself dead.
1: Yes, and whether this is like a prophetic vision or it's that that whole fetch thing.
0: Oh yeah, huh? I mean, talk about fever dreams. Like people do hallucinate when they have fevers. That too. But yeah. that is that. I'm impressed. That would no wonder she screamed. And her and her <laughs> husband's like, "Oh, it's a you have a bad fever." Let's go back inside. That's why you're screaming.
1: No, no, no. Sigrid is the one out there with her. This is just two women. Oh, okay. Neither of them are here with their husbands.
0: I'm following now. Still, though, that would be terrifying.
1: Which would mean that if they didn't mention that uh, one of the dead people was Thorsten, this scene would pass the Bechdel test.
0: Oh, yeah, you're right. Oh, that's sad. So close.
1: Because they both have names and they're talking to each other. That's true. And there are no men in this scene. That's
0: true. So close yet so far.
1: And when this passed away, she said, let us now go, Guthrie there. I see the crowd no longer. Thorsten Eriksson had also disappeared from her sight. He had seemed to have a whip in his hand and to wish to smite the ghostly troop. So apparently she's not the only one seeing these. Because <laughs> Thorsten Eriksson is like, they're dead people. I'm going to whip them. <laughs>
0: I'm going to get them out of here. <laughs>
1: Incidentally, according to the sagas in general, this is not the correct way to deal with uh, dead people. That's that's true. And I forget if it's Laksadala Saga or Airbigya Saga, one of those district sagas. They get rid of a group of ghosts haunting an estate by threatening to sue them for trespassing.
0: That is one of my and favorites. It works. That's one of my favorites. Was that the one where they have to get a priest to get them out of there? I think that's a different I think incident. it's a different one because there's another one there's one where they sue them and then there's one where a bunch of guys are killed at sea like they drown or whatever and their revenants show up the druggers show up and they sit at the fireside and they take up so much room that the people are like okay great you've told us that you're dead please leave and they won't leave and so then they have to get a priest and all the priest does is come in he says a prayer and he's like hey guys you know thanks for letting us know that you're dead can you go now by the grace of god and they do and that's all That's yep. all that you have to do. You do not have to deal with dead people violently, unless they're violent to you first.
1: That is correct. Street smarts. The solutions that we see in the sagas are legal action, or you bless the area and then they can't come in. Yeah. That's it. Unless you are Kjartan, in which case you have the third option to club ghostly seal heads that come through the floor. <laughs> Zoe is frozen, but I assume she's saying something entertaining on the other side of the line.
0: The last thing I heard was about Kiartin and clubbing.
1: Yes, I don't remember which one this is either. Again, it's one of the district sagas, but there's a guy named Kjartan who uh, deals with a ghostly seal that starts coming up through the floor by just hitting it until it goes away. So apparently sometimes violence works.
0: A ghostly seal. I re- like. Is this one that he hunted and it, like, it just came back with a vengeance? Or did it as just show as up? As far as
1: I remember, there's no explanation.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's why I love these sagas so much. Cause it's like, oh, by the way, there's a there's a seal revenant that just pops up. Okay, regardless, this guy goes out with a switch.
1: Afterwards, they went in. And before morning came, she, Sigrid, was dead. And a coffin was prepared for the body. Now the same day, the men purposed to go out fishing. Presumably, this is not like, bro, let's go fishing. Now that <laughs> your wife is dead and can't nag us about it. <laughs> I assume since this is Greenland, they're legitimately out of food and they need
0: they need fish. fish. Plus, you know, it's probably cathartic.
1: I mean, there are many words I would use to describe fishing. I don't think cathartic would be one of them.
0: That's fair. To be fair, I've personally never gone fishing myself. Okay, that's not true. I've gone, I've gone fishing, I've gone dip netting, which is different, but it's a native way of catching salmon, Mm -hmm. which is restricted to Alaskan residents. And you go out with these giant, giant nets. And you basically stick them in the water. It's the laziest way of catching fish because they just swim mm. into the net. And you pick it up and you're like, great, 25 salmon. Perfect. And you're fine. <laughs> like, there you go. But I don't know. People tell me it's nice to go out fishing. Just you Could on they- the water. I don't know.
1: Anyway, they purposed to go out fishing and Thorsten led them to the landing places. And in the early morning, he went to see what they had caught. Then Thorsten Erickson sent word to his namesake to come to him, saying that matters at home were hardly quiet that the housewife was endeavoring to rise to her feet and to get under the clothes beside him. Ooh, not good. Yes. So he basically says, hey, Thorsten, bad news. Your wife is trying (laughs) to get into my bed, which is worse news because she's dead. Ooh. She is cuckolding you from the grave. (laughs) (laughs) That's brutal. That's real bad. And when he was come in, she had risen upon the edge of the bed. Then took he her by the hands... This is her husband now. Right. Took he her by the hands and laid a poleaxe upon her breast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. I mean, way to do it. (laughs) Yeah. Like, hey, honey, just come here a minute. (laughs) and Ooh, nicely done
1: there. Thorsten Erikson died near nightfall.
0: I mean, I guess that's what you
1: get. Yeah, I mean... I guess if it's a contagious fever and a corpse keeps crawling into your bed, you're going to catch it. It's a zombie plague. And at least we no longer have to try and sort out which Thorsten is which. That's
0: true. There's only one left.
1: (laughs) Oh, and the prophecy is fulfilled. Gudreether's first marriage was short.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was.
1: (laughs) Thorsten the Franklin, the other Thorsten, begged Gudreether to lie down and sleep, saying that he would watch over the body during the night. So she did. And when a little of the night was passed, Thorsten Eriksson sat up and spake.
0: So we we actually do have a zombie plague going on here.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's kind of the natural conclusion of the whole revenant thing, is when you have a plague, true. it's automatically a zombie plague.
0: True, that's very true. Revenants are a recurring theme.
1: This is not the first time or the last time in the saga that something like this happens. Very true. So Thorsten Eriksson sat up and spake, saying he wished Gudrider to be called to him and that he wished to speak with her. God wills, he said, that this hour be given to me for my own and the further completion of my plan.
0: Okay, unfinished business.
1: Thorsten the Franklin went to find Gudrider and waked her, begged her to cross herself and to ask God for help, and told her what Thorsten Eriksson had spoken with him. And he wishes," said he, "to meet with thee. Thou art obliged to consider what plan thou wilt adopt, because I can in this issue advise thee in no wise."
0: (laughs) Yeah, that seems that seems pretty smart.
1: Your dead husband wants to talk to you. Um, I don't know what the best course of action here is. That's up to you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, he's washing his hands (laughs) of that one. He's like, "Hey, I looked after the body. I told you I would. It's back." So now it's your turn.
1: Follow your own recognizance on this one.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: She answered, it may be that this, this wonderful thing.
0: Not my reaction here, but okay.
1: Well, the word that is often translated as wonderful in these saga translations can also be translated as strange.
0: Ah, so this is like the whole Mirabile thing.
1: It is a wonder. That doesn't necessarily mean it's pleasant.
0: Right. That makes sense. That's like in The Wanderer, you've got this word, "gastliche."
1: Mm-hmm.
0: how spiritual it will be, is one way of saying it. And then the other one is how terrible it will be. Right. And they're talking about like when, you know, when the end times come and everything passes away and da, da, da. But it depends on, on whether you want to interpret it as sort of a Christian interpretation of, a, of the poem that has a more hopeful note or whether you want to interpret it as a more kind of pagan worldview of weird and fate. And right. Because that word is, is
1: the direct ancestor of our modern word ghastly. Right. But you have to remember that the Old English didn't really distinguish between soul and ghost. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it could mean spiritual or it could mean haunted.
0: Yep. Yep. But anyway, that adds a little bit of linguistic light to what's going on here. So (laughs) what a wonder has occurred.
1: This wonderful thing has regard to certain matters which are afterwards to be had in memory. And I hope that God's keeping will test upon me. And I will, with God's grace, undertake the risk and go to him and know what he will say. For I shall not be able to escape if harm must happen to me. I am far from wishing that he should go elsewhere. I suspect, moreover, that the matter will be a pressing one.
0: All right. And this is this is Goosefeeder, right? Yeah.
1: So to summarize that up, she's like, I'll go talk to him. If God wants me to be safe, I'll be safe. If God wants me to not be safe, I'll not be safe. But if he came back from the dead to talk to me, I assume it's important.
0: Yeah, which is entirely reasonable and props to her for having that sort of attitude. Mm-hmm. And if I were her, just keeping the big picture in mind, I would think I'd end up okay because, you know, you're still on husband number
1: one. Right? Well, she might not believe the prophecy because the prophetess is pagan. And she's That's not.
0: true. That's true. She is a Christian.
1: Or maybe she thinks that, like, the prophecy is a lie because obviously if a pagan prophetess just talks to demons.
0: Yeah, yeah, that is... Another possibility. See, to be fair, though, you can have a true prophecy be fulfilled even if it's incurred the wrong way. Yes. Which is another level of complexity to the acceptableness of magic during this time.
1: Yes. Prophecy and magic are complicated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then went Guthrie there and saw Thorsten. He appeared to her as if shedding tears. He spake in her ear in a low voice, certain words which she alone might know.
0: Hey, little shy whispered whisper in your ear.
1: <laughs> Maybe because it doesn't tell us what these certain words are.
0: I'm sorry, it was right there and I had to do it.
1: I have no idea what you're refer- what you're referencing.
0: An old rap song. It's real bad. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. So we we don't actually know what
1: he says. No. Oh, she alone might know it. Says so right Okay. There. Fair enough. This is not a third-person omniscient narrator. True. Very true. But this he said so that all heard. Uh Aha. That those men would be blessed who held the true faith, and that all salvation and mercy accompanied it, and that many, nevertheless, held it lightly. So, here's the question. Does it count as a miracle if a zombie tells you to convert to Christianity?
0: I mean... There are multiple occurrences of the dead coming back to life in the Bible. So I'd say so. I'm more impressed that he's not called a saint for this.
1: Right? Well, that comes up a lot, actually. There are lots of bits in the sagas that sound like they should be part of a saint's life, but but Mm -hmm. none of these people are saints.
0: Maybe it's just because revenants are so common. It could be. Because I feel like in the sagas, everybody's popping back up from the dead.
1: I could be misremembering, but I think in Nihal's saga, they actually mentioned that Niall's corpse is incorruptible, but there's no Saint Niall.
0: <laughs> I mean, I have no response to that. That's very
1: odd. I don't know if they huh. actually use the word incorruptible. I think they just say it smells like flowers instead of like rot, but that's that's the sign.
0: Yeah, that's still a very saintly thing for it to be. Hmm. And we should, because I don't think we talked about this before, but we should classify what we're talking about here when we talk about revenants and zombies. Because we're throwing a lot of various words around between like spirit, ghost, revenant, drugger, zombie. So do you want to take this one?
1: So a revenant is something that revens.
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, A revenant is someone who bodily returns from the dead, usually to handle some kind of unfinished business or just to let people know that they died, often if they die overseas. And if you're thinking, hey, that would be cool to put in a and d game, it's already done for you. Hey, hey. At least in third edition, it was in some obscure source book, I think like the Monsters of the Forgotten Realms or something like that. But they do have stats for someone who is a, brought back as a revenant to avenge their death.
0: Let me check and see if it's in fifth edition.
1: That was always one of my favorite plot points because it, w- it was an easy way to have consequences for players killing NPCs they shouldn't.
0: That's really clever. Okay, so a Revenant is also in fifth edition. It's got a 13 AC and 136 hit points. That's pretty good. So it's, yeah, it's a pretty decent decent creature. And then let's see if we have. Okay, so Draugr is not in here.
1: That's weird. Draugr's in Pathfinder. But then again, yeah. Pathfinder is objectively better.
0: I cannot say, because I basically homebrew everything at this point, and I I was only introduced to D&D with 5th edition. Yeah. Okay, how else would you spell Draugr?
1: D r a isn't it? Draugr? Just G-R?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's not in here, or I'm spelling it wrong. Yeah,
1: okay. But Draugr are basically seafaring undead, I think is the, yeah. the best way to boil that down. And obviously, there's a lot of overlap, because the uh, Icelanders didn't make the same fine distinctions that we would.
0: Right. Right. So, the difference between a ghost revenant and Draugr is kind of fuzzy.
1: Right. And there are other, like, edge cases that aren't really any of those, or are a separate thing entirely. Right. Like fetches.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then there's also, there's Huldra, which are sort of elven creatures that have hollow backs, like Like a tree trunk that's been Mm -hmm. hollowed out but they're very beautiful on the front and they have tails and then there was one instance where there's a revenant who comes back and she like comes up through the floor and she's beautiful but she has a tail.
1: Right and sometimes Huldra instead of being hollow have cow's tails, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a variant
1: of the same thing.
0: Yeah. And in that saga she's supposedly a revenant as well. So kind of the line between otherworldly creatures here gets fuzzy.
1: And it's made more confusing by the fact that you may have noticed most of these names that we're giving them aren't Icelandic. Draugr is Icelandic. I think revenant is French originally. Yeah. And I assume Huldra is Irish or something.
0: I think Huldra is Scandinavian. I mean, it's Scandinavian folklore. So I would expect it to come from one of those languages. Okay, so the Huldufolk are the hidden people, so that's like the elves. Mm -hmm. And that comes from Icelandic folklore. Yeah, that tracks. Yeah, there we go. And then there's also, I think Hulda is the name, is one of the names of the leader of the wild hunt as well, which tracks in the same tradition. I
1: believe you are correct. See, there is a Huld who is uh, a woman who practices sailor. Mm-hmm. Ah, and- Who could
0: also be the wild hunt leader.
1: Holda is a Germanic mythological figure, also known as Old Mother Frost.
0: Yeah, again, the wild hunt, because that's a winter thing. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of very, 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 very old roots yeah, to, to these creatures.
1: Okay, so the revenant says convert to Christianity.
0: Pretty standard. Yes.
1: And he continues, It is, said he, no good custom which has prevailed here in Greenland since Christianity came to bury men in unconsecrated ground, with few religious rites over them. So, Christianity is there, but Christian burials haven't really taken hold as a practice, and he objects. Mm -hmm. As someone who's about to be buried, he has a problem with that.
0: I mean, fair enough.
1: I wish for myself, and for those other men who have died, to be taken to the church, but for Garth, I wish him to be burned on a funeral pile as soon as may be.
0: Because <laughs> we don't like him.
1: For he is the cause of all those ghosts which have been among us this winter.
0: <laughs> They're blaming the first guy to get infected.
1: Yeah, clearly it's his fault.
0: Oh man. Well, there is there is a lot of superstition. Uh, it's interesting to me that he is a very a very different name to everybody else because, for instance, like the name Sam was Mm -hmm. supposed to be a very bad name in Iceland and in Norway because it was, was it a Swedish name and they didn't like the Swedes? I think that's the tradition there. Couldn't tell you. So maybe he's just an outsider that they really don't like and he brings with him bad luck.
1: I looked it up real quick. Garth is actually a pretty normal name in most of Northwestern Europe.
0: Huh, okay. But
1: it's a low class name.
0: Okay, that also makes sense.
1: Because Garth is the word for an enclosed yard. You actually see it a lot in the sagas. And so it's like naming someone Gardner. All right. He spake to Gudri there also about her own state, saying that her destiny would be a great one, and begged her to beware of marrying Greenland men. He begged her also to pay over their property to the church, and some to the poor. And then he sank down a second time. Okay,
0: question. Isn't he a Greenland man?
1: Yes, but clearly that didn't work out.
0: All right. Wait, did you say beware of marrying or beware of burying? Marrying. Okay, that makes more sense. I thought you said burying and I was like, but she's got to bury him. Okay, yes, beware of marrying a Greenland man, which makes sense cuz yeah. he's dead.
1: Right. And Greenland is not a healthy place. This is another recurring yeah. issue in the sagas is that Greenland is not a healthy place to be.
0: Entirely valid.
1: Because I think um, the only other like mass zombie episode that I can remember off offhand and I don't remember what saga this was in also takes place in Greenland
0: huh that's just that is rife with so many opportunities for amazing writing right there
1: I mean again I can't remember which saga this is future Mac will tell you uh-huh. flowa saga is the one that past Mac is trying to remember
0: uh-huh.
1: But Saga Thing did a few episodes on it, and one of their complaints was that there's a lot of good material there, but it wasn't well written.
0: Oh, that's sad.
1: So, like, if you're listening to this and you're a writer, rewrite that saga that Future Mac just dropped the name of. There we go. And maybe you'll be successful.
0: Yeah, go for it. That's what's great about these old texts is that so many of them are so hidden, you have the ability to rewrite them and everyone's going to think that you're a genius for coming up with it. And it's like, nope, I just I just pulled a Tolkien on you.
1: Yeah, I mean, give credit. Don't plagiarize.
0: Oh, yeah, 100 percent. But take an inspired version of the text is what I mean.
1: Yeah, you can just say, oh, this was inspired by blah, blah, blah saga. And you don't have to say, like, I basically just use blah, blah, blah saga as an outline. yeah. The whole plot outline. (laughs) (laughs) It had been a custom in Greenland, after Christianity was brought there, to bury men in unconsecrated ground on the farms where they died. An upright stake was placed over a body, and when the priests came afterward to the place, then was the stake pulled out, consecrated water poured therein, and a funeral service held, though it might be long after the burial. Makes sense. Yeah, I like that they basically figured out a way... For them to pour holy water directly on the corpse. And it's by putting a stake in the grave and then just pulling it out and using the hole as like a funnel.
0: I mean, do what you gotta. You gotta consecrate that ground.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I I guess you couldn't dig back down if the ground freezes.
0: Yeah, that would be a bad idea. The permafrost won't, won't help you there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then additionally... If you're not as familiar with this tradition, you might be wondering, okay, what's the deal with the consecrated ground here? Well, part of that is the Christianity. You want to be sure that you are buried in consecrated ground because you don't want to come back as a revenant. That's part of that tradition is, okay, well, I want to leave my you know, my family alone, so I'm going to be buried in consecrated ground. And another reason for that is that if there are evil demons, spirits, whatever, you can't be possessed, which is another reason. Or it's the same reason why revenants cannot walk into holy spaces, or demons cannot enter into holy spaces, or elves, or whatever. The hidden folk in general cannot go into these spaces because they're holy. So you're sort of protecting your family, but you're also protecting yourself by being buried there.
1: That's a pretty good summary. I have nothing to add. <laughs> the bodies were removed to the church in Eriksfjöðr and funeral services held by the priests. After that died Thorbjörn. The whole property then went to Gudrýðr. Eric received her into his household and looked well after her stores. There was a man named Thorfinn Karlsepni, son of Thorther Horsehead, who dwelt in the north at Raineness in Skagafjöðr, as it is now called. Karlsepni was a man of good family and very rich. His mother's name was Thorún. He engaged in trading journeys and seemed a goodly, bold, and gallant traveller. Now, Eric Saga survives in two manuscripts, and one of them gives us Thorfinn Karlsefni's genealogy.
0: Ooh! New family, new family tree.
1: Yeah. Which expands that the aforementioned father, Thor their horsehead, his parents are a man named Snorri and a woman named Thorhildr Ptarmigan.
0: Tarmigan? Yeah,
1: That's like the bird. Cool. Like yeah, it's a bird. And Snorri's parents were Thorgerther, who is a woman about of, of who of, we're not told anything else, and Thorther Bellower, who was a law speaker and according to other sources, the great-grandson of Eidir the Deep-minded from the beginning.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. We're coming back around.
1: Yes. And now Thorgerther's parents, that would be Thorfinn's great-grandmother. Her parents were a man named Thorir Slouch and a woman named Frithgeather, and Frithgeather's father was Kerval, king of the Irish.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Meanwhile, back to Thorther Bellower. Mm-hmm. His father was Bjarni Butterbox.
0: Oh my gosh, that's a great name! I know. Bjarni Butterbox.
1: Whose father was Hroalder Backbone. Whose father was Auslauker. Whose father was Bjorn Ironside, king of Sweden. Whose father was Ragnar Friggin Lothbrok. Oh my
0: gosh! Wow. So this guy's got some he's got some that that's a hell of an ancestry right there. He's a hot.
1: And as as has been pointed out in virtually every edition and also in saga thing, Carl Sepni is not a surname, of course. it is a nickname, but it's difficult to translate, so it's usually left untranslated. The sense is the makings of a man.
0: Yeah, well, no kidding. Yes. dang. Like, okay, to be fair, what else would you name your son at that point?
1: That's not going to be a, a nickname that he was given at birth. It's just one he picks up and people are like, man, that guy has all the qualities it takes to be a man's man is basically what it means. <laughs>
0: wow, he's he's earned it, I guess. Good on him.
1: Anyway, so as I said, he engaged in trading journeys and seemed a goodly bold and gallant traveler. One summer, Septi prepared his ship intending to go to Greenland. Snorri Thorbrandsson from Alptefjörðr resolved to travel with him, and there were 30 men in the company. There was a man named Bjarni Grimolfsson, a man of Bredefjordr, another called Thorhall, son of Gamli, a man from the east of Iceland. They prepared their ship the very same summer as Karlsefni, with intent also to go to Greenland. They had in the ship 40 men. The two ships launched out into the open sea as soon as they were ready. It is not recorded how long a voyage they had, but after this I have to tell you that both these ships came to there about autumn. Eric rode down to the ships with other men of the land, and a market fair was promptly instituted. The captains invited Gudhriðr to take such of the merchandise as she wished, and Eric displayed on his part much magnificence in return. Inasmuch as he invited both these ships' companies home with him to pass the winter in Bratazith, the merchants accepted the invitation and went home with Eric. Afterwards, their merchandise was removed to Bratthi, where a good and large outbuilding was not lacking in which to store the goods. The merchants were well pleased to stay with Eric during the winter.
0: Makes sense. So we get this hospitality, we get this trading, it's becoming quite a nice settlement.
1: This whole uh, chapter, which only covers half of this page, and I'm about halfway through it, uh, is about hospitality. Okay. When now Yule was drawing nigh, Eric began to look more gloomy than he was wont to be. Presently... Karlsepni entered into conversation with him, and said, Art thou in trouble, Eric? It appears to me that thou art somewhat more taciturn than thou hast been. Still thou helpest us with much liberality, and we are bound to reward thee according as we have means thereto. Say now, what causes thy cheerlessness? Eric answered, You receive hospitality well, and like worthy men. Now, I have no mind that our intercourse together should be expensive to you. Just pausing to see if you were going to react to the word intercourse, but okay, good.
0: I mean, I'm used to that one in texts. It's like, you know, that's pretty standard stuff.
1: Yeah, that's true. But so it is, that it will seem to me an ill thing if it is heard that you never spent a worse yule than this, just now beginning when Eric the Red entertained you at Bratiseth in Greenland. Because he, he doesn't have a lot of, like, uh, supplies. He can't put on a proper feast, is, is what's right. going on.
0: Makes sense. Sad days.
1: Sad days, yes. Karlsefni answered, it must not come to such a pass. We have in our ships malt, meal, and corn, and you have right and title to take therefrom whatever you wish, and to make your entertainment such as consorts with your munificence. And Eric accepted the offer. Then was preparation made for the Yule feast, and so magnificent was it the men thought they had scarcely ever seen so grand a feast.
0: Okay, turning around.
1: And this is this is another thing the saga thing people point out is that Karlsefni basically bankrolled Eric throwing a big Yule feast, thus increasing his honor and reputation, and now. He's going to make a request, which Eric is kind of honor bound not to refuse.
0: Mm-hmm. Makes sense. This is where most bad things start.
1: You'd think that, but. Ooh, ooh. After Yule, Carlseptni broached to Eric the subject of a marriage with Guthritha. Oh, okay. Yeah, because remember, her second marriage is supposed to be good. Mm-hmm. Which he thought might be under Eric's control, and the woman appeared to him to be both beautiful and of excellent understanding. Basically, he's even though Thorsten is dead, Eric still has influence because he's technically still her father in law, and so he's like, Can right. you hook me up? Right, makes sense. Eric answered and said that for his part, he would willingly undertake his suit, and said moreover that she was worthy of a good match. It is also likely, he thought, that she will be following out her destiny should she be given to him, because he believes in the prophecy.
0: That's right. He remembers, he knows.
1: Yeah. I don't know if he knew before his son married her, but he knows now. Yeah. Yeah. And moreover, the report which comes to me of him, i.e. Carl Saffney, is good. Mm-hmm. The proposals were now laid before her, and she allowed the marriage with her to be arranged, which Eric wished to promote.
0: There we go. So we're two for two. We're yeah. two for two. So she says okay, her dad says okay, well, her dad Her father-in-law,
1: yeah. Yeah. However, I will not now speak at length how this marriage took place. The Yule Festival was prolonged and made into a marriage feast. Great joy was there in Bratahid during the winter. Much, and this says, and I'm not sure if this is a translation issue or not, much playing of backgammon.
0: Okay, there is Viking chess. There is a version of Viking chess. Hang on. Hang on. Yes. Yes. Backgammon? I thought that was an Arabic thing. I don't know. Hang on. Okay, it started in Mesopotamia. So it's, yeah, it started in the Middle East. It, it would not be surprising to me that they had it by then because the Vikings did. I should make a caveat here. I keep saying Vikings, which is an anachronistic term in a lot of ways because you go a Viking.
1: Right. Viking is a profession.
0: Yeah, but it is the most usual term, even in academia. Like I, I still read the word Vikings as a people group in academia. So that's what I'll keep using, even though it's. Slightly anachronistic. But anyway, they went down and were guards to the Byzantine kings, their Byzantine emperors. So they would definitely have brought backgammon with them. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was backgammon or a form of chess or whether it was, as you said, one of their own games.
1: Yeah, and apparently in France, there's writings about backgammon during the 11th century, which is about this time. So it's reached Western Europe. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if, again, the Vikings or whatever we want to call them already had it by the time people in France were writing about it. Mm -hmm. Side note, although the class on sagas that I take with Dr. Hughes is just called Old Norse because it's Mm -hmm. mostly about uh, learning the language. Right. The one he does for undergrads, which is the class in which we met, was called Viking Literature.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true.
1: And even though he knows just as well as anyone else, that Viking is a profession, not a nationality.
0: It's still used in academia.
1: Yeah. And my favorite thing about the way he presented that class was that in the Purdue English Department, they make little flyers for the undergraduate classes and post them around the main English building to try and entice (laughs) people to take them. And the Viking Literature One listed one of the benefits of taking it as, quote, Viking awareness. (laughs) And I always yes. wondered if that was being aware of things in the manner that a Viking would be or being aware when there were Vikings around.
0: I think both are reasonable answers. I think one of the most glorious things that he ever did was sat down on day one and explained to us exactly how the Vikings did not wear horned helmets. That's true. But he was so explicit about this. It's like, yeah, I'm like... I don't know. I'd heard that several times. This was not a new idea to me, but he was incensed that we all needed to know this information. Well, you that do Vikings, need to know that information. You, you do need to know this information. But he, like, this was his special little thing. And I just loved that every single time he brought it up, he would say that. Anyway.
1: Much playing of backgammon and telling of stories went on. And many things were done that ministered to the comfort of the household. And that's the end of that chapter. That's why I said it's all about hospitality. During this time, much talk took place in Bratelid about making ready to go to Vinland the Good. Apparently, it's the, the country has acquired a nickname now.
0: <laughs> Vinland the Good. Yeah.
1: All right. And it was asserted that they would there find good choice lands. The discourse came to such conclusion that Karlsefni and Snorri prepared their ship with the intention of seeking Vinland during the summer. Bjarni and Thorhall ventured on the same expedition with their ship and the retinue which had accompanied them. There was a man named Thorvard, he married Freydis, the illegitimate daughter of Eric the Red. Okay. He set out with them likewise, as also Thorvald, a presumably illegitimate son of Eric. Mm hmm. Because neither of these children are mentioned among the children of Eric and his wife.
0: That's, yeah, that's right.
1: The translation refers to Freydis as a natural daughter, but that's Victorian discretion. The word is more like <laughs> illegitimate. Mm hmm. Thorvald, called the hunter. ...had for a long time been Eric's companion in hunting and fishing expeditions during the summer, and many things had been committed to his keeping. Thorhall was a big man, dark and of gaunt appearance, rather advanced in years, overbearing in temper, of melancholy mood, silent at all times, underhanded in his dealings... Oh no. ...and given to abuse... Oh no. (laughs) ...and always inclined towards the worst...
0: Not a great guy. I was wondering about that because the moment you said that he was dark and then moody, I was like, oh, this guy's got some supernatural ancestry and it's not good. He's a surly guy.
1: It may be supernatural ancestry. It may also be that he's getting a bad rap because of this next sentence.
0: Oh boy. Here we go.
1: He had kept himself aloof from the true faith when it came to Greenland.
0: That will also makes sense. Yeah, So
1: he, like Eric, refuses to convert. He is staunchly pagan,
0: which would make one fairly surly in the community.
1: Yeah, I mean, as someone who is not part of any organized religion, I am often surly when surrounded by vocal Christians. <laughs> so I feel you, Thorhall. Yep, yep. He was but little encompassed with the love of friends, but yet Eric had long held conversation with him, which might be because they're some of the few pagans left on the on, in the settlement.
0: Yeah, especially because Greenland is not very big. These Greenland settlements are not big. So everyone's going to know whether you're part of a faith or not.
1: I mean, to be fair, Greenland is very big, but... Right, but the the settlements are not. The settlements are quite small. He went in the ship with Thorvald and his men because he was widely acquainted with the unpeopled districts. I just assume is a way of saying wilderness. The frontier. They had the ship which Thorbjorn had brought to Greenland and they ventured on the expedition with Sepney and the others. And most of them in this ship were Greenlanders. There were 160 men in these ships. They sailed away from land, then to the Western Settlement, and to Bjarniar, which... Bear Island. Makes sense. Yep. Thence they sailed away from Bear Island with northerly winds. They were out at sea two half days, or as one might say, a day.
0: I'm just gonna ask... <laughs> <laughs> Two half days. Hmm. I wonder if that's a specific unit of sailing measurement or something. It could be. Yeah. Okay. They were out for a day.
1: Then they came to land and rowed along it in boats and explored it and found their flat stones. So many and so great that two men might well lie on them stretched on their backs with heel to heel. Polar foxes were there in abundance. This land they gave name to and called it Hetluland. Hetlu means flat stone.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed.
1: And people have identified this place, at Baffin Island.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Then they sailed with northerly winds two half days, and there was then land before them, and on it a great forest, and many wild beasts. An island lay in the southeast off the land, and they found bears thereupon, and called the island Bjarne, which means bear island. Hey! So I want to notice that they went from Bjarnejar, which is just bear islands, plural. Right. And like, the second island they encountered, like, there are also bears there. It's called out Bear Islands, too.
0: That won't confuse anybody.
1: But the mainland, where the forest was, they called Markland. Forest. Okay. Forestland. land. This has also been identified. Markland is Labrador. Okay. Probably. This is where the evidence suggests that they kept going to get timber. Makes sense. Then, when two half days were passed, they saw land and sailed under it. There was a cape to which they came. They cruised along the land leaving it on the starboard side. There was a harborless coastland and long sandy strands. They went to the land in boats and found the keel of a ship, indicating, again, they are not the first people from Europe to land here. Leif was just the first person to come back. Right. Apparently, uh, it was not unheard of that people would be blown off course and land in North America, but they would wreck their ship in the process, so they couldn't go back.
0: No one ever went back or came back. Yeah.
1: Or maybe they just, like, thought, hey, this is much nicer.
0: I was going to say, if you you ha- you know you can set up your own little kingdom over there, then why go back?
1: Well, this settlement also fails, and we're going to s- find out why you go back.
0: Ooh, yeah.
1: Anyway, they found the keel of a ship there and thus called the place Kjallarnes, which means uh, Kjall keel, and Ness is just headland. Headland, yeah. Yeah, as in uh, Hilton Head.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: Yeah. They gave also name to the strands, calling them Further there, because it was tedious to sail by them.
0: The Further yeah. One it's so long it goes so far
1: i, I don't know where Ness or further strand are actually are there have been theories that have since been discarded that Ness was cape cod because they're like it looks kind of like a keel maybe that's the actual reason for the name
0: i was going to ask i was, I was going to say like the further the further strand sort of
1: feels like yeah but we we have no archaeological evidence that the vikings ever got as far south as massachusetts
0: yeah, seems like they wouldn't. I don't know if they would go that
1: far, but then the coast became indented with creeks, and they directed their ships along the creeks. Now, before this, when Leif was with King Olaf Tryggvason, and the king had requested him to preach Christianity in Greenland, he gave him two Scottish people: the man called Haki and the woman called Hekia.
0: Okay, are these presumably slaves? I guess. Okay.
1: The king requested Leif to have recourse to these people if he should ever want fleetness, because they were swifter than wild beasts. All right. Eric and Leif had got these people to go with Karlsefni. Now, when they had sailed by there, they put the Scottish people on land and requested them to run into the southern regions, seek for choice land, and come back after three half days were passed.
0: Yeah, I would, I would bet that these were slaves.
1: Yeah, go scout for us. Come back yeah. in a day and a half. They were dressed in such wise that they had on the garment which they called Biafal? I don't know how to pronounce that. It's B-I-A-F-A-L.
0: Hmm, Biafal. Do we know what that is?
1: It was made with a hood at the top, open at the sides, without sleeves, and was fastened between the legs. It's a very strange image.
0: Yeah, that's interesting.
1: It sounds like they're wearing a poncho that's like buttoned at the crotch and has a hood on top.
0: Yeah, Biafal. Huh, all right.
1: A button and a loop held together there, and elsewhere they were without clothing.
0: That seems highly uncomfortable, but okay.
1: Right? I would not wear this. This sounds like a terrible Mm-mm. garment. Yeah, no. Then did they cast anchors from the ship and lay there to wait for them. And when three days were expired, the Scottish people leapt from the land, and one of them had in his hand a bunch of grapes, and the other an ear of wild wheat. Uh-huh. They said to Carl Stephanie that they considered they had found good in choice land. Then they received them into their ship and proceeded on their journey to where the shore was cut into by a firth. They directed the ships within the firth. There was an island lying out in front of the firth. We, we have now lost the area where we're like, we know where this is. Right. Probably somewhere in Newfoundland is the best we can get.
0: Are they they're still going up the river or are they going back along the headland? <laughs> we don't know. Okay. Yeah.
1: It's, it's, it's getting a bit vague. That's why people can't really track it properly. Uh, There was an island lying out in front of the Firth, and there were great currents around the island, which they called Straumsei, Current Island.
0: They're so inventive with their names.
1: Right? But this is another place that people have tried to find. They're like, okay, we need to find, like, a Firth with an island in it that has currents around it, and there are a lot of possibilities, and no one's settled on which it is.
0: Well, to be fair, I mean, hasn't the coastline changed quite a bit since then?
1: Yeah, this was a thousand years ago. Yeah. All right. There were so many birds on it that scarcely was it possible to put one's feet down for the eggs. They continued their course up the firth, which they called Stramsfeder, and carried their cargo ashore from the ships, and there they prepared to stay. They had with them cattle of all kinds, which sounds like not a fun thing to have in a Viking ship.
0: I was gonna say
1: on a transatlantic journey.
0: Yeah, because those those ships are not big like we would classify them as boats, not ships. Oof.
1: Alright and for themselves they sought out the produce of the land thereabout. There were mountains, and the place was fair to look upon. They gave no heed to anything except to explore the land, and they found large pastures. They remained there during the winter, which happened to be a hard one, with no work, and they were badly off for food, and the fishing failed. Then they went out to the island, hoping that something might be got there from fishing or from what was drifted ashore. In that spot, there was little, however, to be got for food, but their cattle found good sustenance. (laughs)
0: So... They're not finding much, but at least the cattle's not dead.
1: Well, yeah, but they, the cattle can just eat grass. Right. After that, they called upon God, praying that he would send them some little store of meat, but their prayer was not so soon granted as they were eager that it should be. Thorhall the hunter disappeared from sight, and they went to seek him, and sought for three half-days continuously. On the fourth half-day, Karlsepni and Bjarni found him on the peak of a crag. He lay with his face to the sky, with both eyes and mouth and nostrils wide open, clawing and pinching himself and reciting something. They asked why he had come there. He replied that it was of no importance and told them not to wonder thereat. As for himself, he had lived so long they needed not to take any account of him.
0: <laughs> so he's basically like, don't worry about it, I'm a crazy old man.
1: Yeah, he's like, listen, sonny boy, I know what I'm about. Don't ask yep. questions. Uh huh. They begged him to go home with them and he did so. <laughs> a little while after, a whale was driven ashore and the men crowded round it and cut it up, and still they knew not what kind of whale it was. Even Carlsefni recognized it not, though he had great knowledge of whales. Huh. It was cooked by the cook boys, and they ate thereof.
0: I wonder... I'm just saying I wonder if it's a sperm whale, because they tend to be very deep-sea whales, but they can occasionally be beached, and so it would make sense that they had not seen one before.
1: It could be. I actually don't know, like, if there are whales that are that you're, you're more likely to find on the Canadian coast than on the European one. Because that would be my first thought. Is like, they're in a place yeah. they haven't been before. Maybe there are different whales.
0: Okay. Maybe it's a type of porpoise, not necessarily a whale. Because those are be. very related words. And the Faroese still do a regular porpoise hunt every single year.
1: Yeah, they get in trouble with that. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, they shouldn't. It's traditional whale hunting is like...
0: It's traditional whale hunting, and it's also... The species is not endangered whatsoever.
1: Yeah. People are just uh, sketchy about it because traditional hunting is kind of bloody. And they're like, ew. Yeah. <laughs> like,
0: the water oh. does go pink.
1: <laughs> Let them have their traditions. They've been doing it for a thousand years.
0: But anyway, so it might be a, it might be a type of porpoise, not necessarily a whale, but I'm I'm just throwing ideas out.
1: And they ate thereof, though bad effects came upon all from it afterwards. This is not mm. specified. But I think, right. I think the implication is digestive.
0: Yes, that would make sense. Food poisoning.
1: Then began Thorhall, who apparently is not having bad effects, and said, Has it not been that the red beard has proved a better friend than your Christ? This was my gift for the poetry I composed about Thor, my patron. Seldom has he failed me. Okay. So that's what he was doing on the crack. Right. He was, he was saying poetry. Makes
0: sense. And poetry in this society is also aligned with magic and curses and, and geish and blessings. Mm-hmm. Okay, dumb question, and I feel like I should know this. Is Thor traditionally depicted as having a red beard? Yes. Huh, how did I not realize this? I feel like...
1: Because he's played by Chris Hemsworth.
0: I know, blonde. but I've read the Edda. Like, I've read both of the Eddas. Like, you would think after having read all of this, I wouldn't still have that idea in my head, but I guess I do.
1: All right. He is he is often called Redbeard, that's one of his uh biomes. Interesting. Or Haiti, as the Edison says.
0: Uh well some I guess for some reason that did not stick in my brain. So there you go.
1: Well for some reason I think that I think the comics also make him blonde. So yeah. like the past hundred years or so, the general American view of him is blonde because that's the picture we see of him all the time is the comic version.
0: Yeah. Well I feel like that has a lot to do with the sort of Germanic tradition of Blonde, yeah, blue, like, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes. Obviously,
1: <laughs> Thor is an Aryan super Right. I'm like, God, guys. Hmm.
0: All right. Redhead. Redbeard.
1: Yeah. Yeah, redbeard. Now, when the men knew that, none of them would eat of it, and they threw it down from the rocks and turned with their supplications to God's mercy.
0: <laughs> well, they did get sick from it, so.
1: Well, they ha- have they yet? Because this sounds like something he's saying as they're eating it, and they're like, oh. Like, it makes me wonder if they didn't add that bit afterwards. Like, oh, and we got sick from it.
0: That's a good question. It could be a matter of revisionist history. We don't know.
1: I mean, all of this is, is revisionist. Because oh, yeah. it's, they're Like, they're, they are writing down stuff that's been in the oral tradition for a while. right? Which is why there's Eric the Red Saga and the Greenlanders Saga both talk about the trip to Vinland and they're wildly different.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Even though it's the same characters. Mm-hmm. They threw it down from the rocks, and turned with their supplications to God's mercy. Then was granted to them opportunity of fishing, and after that there was no lack of food that spring. They went back again from the island within Straumsfjordr, and obtained food from both sides, from hunting on the mainland, and from gathering eggs and from fishing on the side of the sea. When summer was at hand, they discussed about their journey and made an arrangement. Thorhall the hunter wished to proceed northwards along further Strandir, and off Kjallernes, and so seek Vinland. Apparently this is a specific location on the continent as far as he's concerned. Okay. But which I guess that's like uh, he's looking for specifically the place where Leif landed because Leaf said it was a land of plenty. Right. That makes
0: sense. And they're having kind of a hard
1: go of it. But Carl Sepney desired to proceed southwards along the land and away from the east because the land appeared to him the better the further south he went. Let me tell you, that is just true of North America in general.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense.
1: Because, I mean, as someone who lives in the Midwest and has family in the Southeast, guess which is better?
0: (laughs) Fair enough.
1: If you are from the Midwest, I am sorry that you live in the Midwest.
0: This is Max' refrain. So bad. It's not great.
1: All right, anyway, better the further south he went, and he thought it also more advisable to explore in both directions. Then did Thorhall make ready for his journey out by the islands, and there volunteered for the expedition with him not more than nine men. But with Carlsepni, there went the remainder of the company. And one day, when Thorhall was carrying water to his ship, he drank and recited this verse. The clashers of weapons did say when I came here that I should have the best of drink, though it becomes me not to complain before the common people. Eager god of the war helmet, I am made to raise the bucket. Wine has not moistened my beard. Rather, do I kneel at the fountain.
0: That is quite the verse.
1: Obviously, this is not my translation, so I can't tell you what the Norse was, because you have to take a lot of liberties in translating Old Norse poetry. You
0: really, really do. Why don't you explain why that is, since you're the expert at this right now? You're you're doing the class.
1: All right, so... Old Norse poetry, again, or Old Icelandic, depending on who you ask. Mm -hmm. One is full of kennings, and if you think you know what a kenning is because you learned about Beowulf in high school, let me tell you that Old English kennings are amateur level. Mm
0: -hmm. That's true. That's As someone who has done Old English and is working through Old English, those kennings are nice and simple. They're very straightforward.
1: Right. Just to give you an idea, the reason that the Edda exists, that compilation of Norse myth that is like the only surviving written form of most of what we know about Norse mythology. Which is
0: probably not even what they actually believed or practiced. May I say?
1: No, because it was written well after the conversion. It's oh, just yeah. what's come down. Uh, but the reason it survived long enough to be written down and the reason that it had to be written down was because someone had to compile all of the metaphors and kennings and Haiti or bywords that you have to use to compose good poetry. And it's all based on mythology.
0: So basically, it's a dictionary or it's a compendium of kennings. Rather than a a historical or mythological text.
1: And so it's like, okay, you can call poetry Odin's Mead. Here's the story as to why poetry is called Odin's Mead. Or like, here is a whole list of other words you can use to mean Odin. And then you can combine that with Odin's Mead. So that it can be like the Mead of the One-Eyed Man or something like that. And it just gets complicated from there. So complicated. And beyond that, uh, word order is kind of optional, because it's an inflected language. And in prose, it's pretty easy to untangle. But in poetry, they just completely throw word order out the window, mm-hmm. because it matters more whether it's placed in the right spots to alliterate and assonate than whether it's placed in spots that make sense.
0: Yep. Because English is very word order heavy. It matters a lot more. But in Old English and in Old Norse, it doesn't matter. In Latin, it doesn't matter.
1: But there are like... In normal prose, there's still an inclination to put them in a standard order just to make it easier for everyone. Right. Right. But it's it's so mixed up in poetry that the Gretus Saga volume that we're translating in my old Norse class, each poem has a footnote where they rearrange the words of the poem into a more reasonable uh, order.
0: That is horrific.
1: This is not written for English speakers. It's written for Icelanders. And it's like okay, speakers of modern Icelandic, you probably can't understand this either. So here is the, here it is in a more reasonable order. That's wild. Like the word order that you're used to.
0: That's amazing. I love it.
1: It's just ridiculous. Poetry is extremely complex and very difficult to translate.
0: And it's so badass too. Like, we're not talking about Shakespeare poetry. We're not talking like John Donne. We're talking poetry that was invoked to curse or before one goes into battle. This was something that you would say in the court before the king. This is something that was a very incredibly honorable thing to pursue.
1: And it's also more about form than content. Yes. So you try and think of the most complicated and flowery way to say, I killed that guy. Yeah. Or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because a good hero is both a warrior and a poet. he got to be both.
1: Right. So the the summation of this verse that Thorhall says is basically, I was told this was Vinland? Where's my wine?
0: <laughs> I love it.
1: Because he's, he's complaining about having to drink just water. Yep. Afterwards, they put to sea, and Karlsepni accompanied them by the island. Before they hoisted sail, Thorhall recited another verse. Go we back where our countrymen are. Let us make the skilled hawk of the sand heaven explore the broad ship courses. There is an example of a kinning that was just translated straight across. Yep. Because it's easy enough for an English speaker to grasp because there's not a whole lot of metaphor built into it. The hawk of the sand heaven is obviously a ship. Yep. While the dauntless rousers of the sword storm... That's another one. (laughs) The dauntless rousers of the sword storm... Obviously, this is another one that's fairly straightforward. It just means dudes.
0: Yeah, warriors, guys.
1: Anything that describes like people who do battle technically means warriors, but in connotation, it just means like men. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Because that's like the cultural expectation. And even if they aren't warriors, you're supposed to pretend they are.
0: Right. You, mu- you have to. You must.
1: Yeah, because it would be insulting to refer to someone as not a warrior. Right. Dauntless rousers of the sword storm who praise the land and cook whale, dwell on Furthustrandir. Then they left, and sailed northwards along Furthustrandir and Kalarnes, and attempted to sail against a wind from the west. A gale came upon them, however, and drove them onward against Ireland, and there were they severely treated, enslaved, and beaten. Then Thorhall lost his life.
0: Oh, wow. That took a very different turn.
1: Yeah, so that's what happened to the expedition that
0: went north. Okay. Yeah, going north is not a good idea when you're already in Newfoundland.
1: Carl Sepney proceeded southwards along the land, with Snorri and Bjarni and the rest of the company. They journeyed a long while, until they arrived at a river, which came down from the land and fell into a lake, and so on to the sea. I don't know why there's an and in here. There were large islands off the mouth of the river, and they could not come into the river except at high flood tide. Carl Sepney and his people sailed to the mouth of the river, and called the land Hop there they found fields of wild wheat wherever there were low grounds and the vine in all places where there was rough rising ground it's a hard phrase every rivulet there was full of fish they made holes where the land and water joined and where the tide went highest And when it ebbed, they found halibut in the holes. Ooh,
0: now we're talking.
1: There was great plenty of wild animals of every form in the wood. They were there half a month, amusing themselves and not becoming aware of anything. Their cattle they had with them.
0: I mean, that makes sense.
1: And early one morning, as they looked around, they beheld. Want to guess what they behold?
0: Native people? Yes. Hey, the locals.
1: I was gonna hint if you didn't get there. Like, there is a major portion of this whole environment that we have not heard of yet. Yep.
0: Yep. I was sort of waiting for it.
1: They beheld nine canoes made of hide. And snout-like staves were being brandished from the boats and they made a noise like flails and twisted round in the direction of the sun's motion. Okay, cool. Gonna put this out here. The Viking term, or the Norse term or the Icelandic term that's used for the uh, natives of North America and also to some degree the Inuits and other natives of the Arctic Circle is Skreling. And there are Three possible meanings. Based on modern Icelandic, it could be that it's from a lost old Icelandic word skrál, which means puny, because they were generally smaller, as as this saga will say, is like they're smaller than the, the Icelanders. Okay. But it could also be from skrau, meaning dried pelts, because they wore leather clothing. Mm-hmm. But the reason I brought it up now is because we just mentioned all that noise they were making. The noise like flails. Mm-hmm. And the other theory is that it could be from skrekia, which means to shriek.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay. I mean, all three make sense to me, so...
1: Yeah, that's why there's no consensus. They all kind of track. Yeah. All right. Then Carlsepne said, what will this be token? Snorri answered him, it may be that it is a token of peace. Let us take a white shield and go to meet them. And so they did. Then did they and the canoes row forward and showed surprise at them and came to land. They were short men, see, this right. is what I mean, ill-looking, with their hair in disorderly fashion upon their heads. I'm going to assume that this basically means they look different and they have different hairstyles that we're not familiar with. I
0: was going to say, it's a totally different culture. It's not something yeah. that they've ever encountered before.
1: Also, Vikings were very prissy about their hair, so yes. they may legitimately just mean that like their hair is not as nice as ours. Yeah, that's also very true. They were large-eyed and had broad cheeks, and they stayed there a while in astonishment. Afterwards, they rowed away to the south, off of the headland. Okay. <laughs> they come back, don't worry. They, the Icelanders, had built their settlements up above the lake, and some of the dwellings were well within the land, but somewhere near the lake. Now, they remained there this winter. They had no snow whatever, and all their cattle went out to graze without keepers. Now, when spring began, they beheld one morning early that a fleet of hide canoes was rowing from the south, off the headland. So many were they, as if the sea were strewn with pieces of charcoal, And there was also the brandishing of staves as before from each boat. They held white shields up and a market was formed between them. And this people in their purchases preferred red cloth. This is an interesting note because the native people, the indigenous people of Newfoundland were called the Beothuk or the Beothuk. Actually, let me look them up so I can get the pronunciation right.
0: This is, that's really interesting. I'm really enjoying the fact that they're like, hey, new people, let's trade. Let's have some cultural communication going on here.
1: Yeah, people think of Vikings as just raiders, and they often were, but Iceland was very much a trading nation. Yep. All right, so according to Wikipedia, this is either pronounced Beatuk or Beethuk. Okay. And they were a group of indigenous people living on the island of Newfoundland. They have largely been wiped out by now, unfortunately, but... Their ancestors had been living on that island for long enough that they were probably the ones who were there when the Vikings came by. Makes sense. And what supports this is that, and I don't know, like this is, as far as I saw, not mentioned in the summaries of them. Mm-hmm. Or rather, this connection is not mentioned in the summaries. Their ceremonies involve red ochre. Oh. Which makes sense in the context of this trading because they're buying red cloth. Clearly, they're like, we can use that in our our ceremony.
0: Yeah, yeah. That makes sense, yeah.
1: In exchange, they had furs to give, and skins quite gray, presumably seal hide or something. Mm Mm-hmm. They wished also to buy swords and lances, but Karlsefni and Snorri forbade it. They offered for the cloth dark hides, and took in exchange a span long of cloth and bound it round their heads. And so matters went on for a while. But when the stock of cloth began to grow small, then they split it asunder so that it was not more than a finger's breadth. The skrylings gave for it still quite as much or more than before. So like the, the Icelanders keep cutting the cloth narrower to stretch the supply and the locals don't care because they just want to tie it around their heads. Right. We just need a, a red head decoration. We're not going to like make a shirt out of it. So yeah, it can be thin. Why not? Yeah, yeah. Now it came to pass that a bull, which belonged to Carlsefni's people, rushed out of the wood and bellowed loudly at the same time. The skrylings... Frightened thereat, rushed away to their canoes, and rode south along the coast. There was then nothing seen of them for three weeks together. I mean, they've never seen a bull before.
0: I was going to say, I you know, I wouldn't get near a bull either.
1: I don't know if there are bison in this area, so...
0: I don't think they go that far north.
1: They might not have seen any kind of large quadruped at all before. Other than, I guess, moose. Yeah. And moose they or stay elk. away from moose. So yeah. maybe that's their reaction. Like, hold on, I know this. Yeah. It's like a different version of that thing <laughs> that you stay away from. When that time, that three weeks, was gone by, there was seen approaching from the south a great crowd of skryling boats, coming down upon them like a stream, the staves this time all being brandished in the direction opposite to the sun's motion. And the skrylings were all howling loudly, then took they and bore red shields to meet them. Less friendly. Well, relations have broken down. Yes. Apparently because they have a monster. I mean, reasonable. I.e. a bowl. Reasonable probably doesn't help that there's no indication that they learned each other's languages at all. Yeah. So like they can't discuss it. Then took they and bore red shields to meet them. They encountered one another and fought and there was a great shower of missiles. The skrylings had also war slings or catapults. And this is where it gets weird. Okay. Because there is, as far as I can figure, no one has managed to explain what on earth. This next bit is supposed to be about. Okay. Or, like, what is described? Right. Then Kralsepni and Snorri see that the Skrylings are bringing up poles with a very large ball attached to each to be compared in size to a sheep's stomach, dark in color. And these flew over Kralsepni's company toward the land, and when they came down, they struck the ground at the hideous noise. Huh. Yeah, exactly.
0: Like a sort of flying, screaming cushion
1: if it is an actual sheep stomach but they just say like it's about the same size but it's the wrong color it's dark in color Weird. they're like i don't know what this thing is they they th- they have them on poles and they throw them at us and they make horrible noises and no one has been able to explain what it is that, th- that this person is trying to describe
0: huh that's absolutely fascinating i'm gonna be i'm gonna be like sitting here thinking about this for the next week Trying to figure it out.
1: It kind of sticks in your head.
0: Listeners, if you figure it out, or if you have any theories, let us know. We want all your
1: ideas. This produced great terror in Carl and his company. Yeah, no kidding. So that their only impulse was to retreat up the country along the river, because it seemed as if crowds of Skriling were driving at them from all sides. And they stopped not until they came to certain crags. There they offered them stern resistance. Fradis, who you may remember is Eric's illegitimate daughter... Yes. ...came out and saw how they were retreating. She called out, Why run you away from such worthless creatures, stout men that ye are, when, as seems to me likely, you might slaughter them like so many cattle? Let me but have a weapon. I think I could fight better than any of you.
0: Okay, get it, girl.
1: (laughs) They gave no heed to what she said. Of course not. (laughs) Freydis endeavored to accompany them. Still, she soon lagged behind because she was not well. Now, I'm not sure if this is the translator or if this is the writer, but she might be pregnant.
0: Oh. Or at
1: least that's the version I've heard of this story before.
0: Both, you know, that makes sense. I would be willing to accept that.
1: Future Mac here. In other translations, she is indeed described as pregnant. She went after them into the wood, and the Skrylings directed their pursuit after her. She came upon a dead man, Thorbrand Snorrison, with a flat stone fixed in his head. His sword lay beside him, so she took it up and prepared to defend herself therewith.
0: Are they whistling stones? It could be. Like, if you cut a hole in the stone the right way, you know?
1: Although it did mention separately war slings and catapults.
0: True. Alright, I've still got no idea. Anyway, so she grabs the sword. This is really ballsy of her.
1: Despite that being not the right term, gender-wise. True. She has ovaries of steel. Yes. Then came the skrylings upon her. She let down her tunic and struck her breast with the naked sword. Okay. There's a book called The Sagas and Shit, which is like slang-heavy retellings of some of the sagas.
0: I actually don't
1: recommend it very strongly. It's clearly made by someone who doesn't have a lot of passion about their subject matter. Oh, that's sad. You can always tell because the one that gets the most detail is Rappenkil Saga, which is always the introductory saga for any Icelandic literature course. Hmm. So it gets the most space, even though it's actually quite short.
0: Oh, all right. Fair enough.
1: But the reason I bring it up is because the cover illustration is this. It is her oh, slapping her okay. breast with a sword. That's cool. At this, the skrylings were frightened, rushed off to their boats, and fled away.
0: I mean, sure. She's... Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean... If you think they were frightened off easily, take a moment to consider. Would you know what to do with that?
0: Especially if she was pregnant. If she was fairly pregnant, like showing, and she's ripped her blouse open, and she's slapping herself with the sword.
1: Yeah, like, I'd also leave at that point.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Carlsepne and the rest came up to her and praised her zeal. Two of Carlsepne's men fell, and four of the Skrylings, notwithstanding they had overpowered them by superior numbers. After that... They proceeded to their booths and began to reflect about the crowd of men which attacked them upon the land. It appeared to them now that the one troop will have been that which came in the boats and the other troop will have been a delusion of sight. No idea.
0: Wait, read that again.
1: It appeared to them now that the one troop will have been that which came in the boats and the other troop will have been a delusion of sight.
0: So they hallucinated?
1: Yeah, I think they're claiming they the hallucinated group? like half of the skrylings. Okay. No clue. No clue. I'd have to go back to the original text.
0: Right, right. Alright.
1: The Skrylings also found a dead man, and his axe lay beside him. One of them struck a stone with it, and broke the axe. It seemed to them good for nothing, as it did not withstand the stone, and they threw it down.
0: That's a reasonable assumption.
1: (laughs) Kralsefni and his company were now of opinion that though the land might be choice and good, there would be always war and terror overhanging them from those who dwelt there before them. They made ready, therefore, to move away, with intent to go to their own land. So I want to just note that these 11th century Icelanders, they meet the natives, they trade with the natives, they end up in conflict with the natives, and they decide, listen, they don't want us here. We're going to leave. We're gone. Which means that in some ways, they had a better head on their shoulders than the English that ca- were to come to this same area in 600 years. Yeah, there we go. Because the English were like, these natives don't like us, let's kill them, instead of yeah. let's leave. Yep. Yeah. They sailed forth northwards and found five skrylings in jackets of skin, sleeping near the sea, and they had with them a chest, and in it was marrow of animals mixed with blood. And they considered that these must have been outlawed.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Yeah, so they're like, okay, these guys are all alone and they have a box full of, like, supplies, I guess is how they're interpreting that. They're like, this is this is food. I guess, Like, yeah. Oh, these are outlaws. Because obviously every culture has the same law code as Iceland. <laughs>
0: Of course, of course.
1: Anyway, since they were outlaws, they slew them.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: Afterwards, they came to a headland and a multitude of wild animals. This headland appeared as if it might be a cake of cow dung because the animals passed the winter there. Fair enough. Reasonable. Now they came to Straumsfjöder, where also they had abundance of all kinds. It is said by some that Bjarni and Freydis remained there and a hundred men with them and went not further away. But Carlsepne and Snorri journeyed southwards, and 40 men with them, and after staying no longer than scarcely two months at Hop, had come back the same summer. So they don't go all the way back to Europe, they just move back to the like uninhabited area they were in before, and like, fine, that's your land, this'll be ours.
0: We'll stay over here,
1: Yeah. Karlsefni set out with a single ship to seek Thorhall, but the rest of the company remained behind. He and his people went northwards off Kjallarnes, and were then borne onward toward the west. And the land lay on their larboard side, and was nothing but wilderness. And when they had proceeded for a long time, there was a river which came down from the land, flowing from the east toward the west. They directed their course within the river's mouth, and lay opposite the southern bank. This is a sentence that I found very weird, and I tried to go back to the original version and couldn't figure out a better translation. Okay. One morning, Kralsepte's people beheld a reddish speck up in the open space in front of them, and they shouted at it.
0: Okay, like
1: a fire or Mars or... Well, we do find out what it is, so I think it's just like they saw something in the distance on a hill or something.
0: And just shouted.
1: Yeah. All right. It stirred itself, and it was a being of the race of men that have only one foot. Okay. Yeah.
0: Did not see that coming.
1: Yeah, we have a uniped. Yeah. Or a monopod.
0: A monopod. <laughs> it sounds like an apple
1: product. <laughs> they have a lot of um, names. That's true. Uh, they That's are true. either unipeds or they are monopods or they are sheapods or skiapods.
0: Skiapod, yeah.
1: Skiapod yeah. is shade foot because they're supposed to lay down and hold their feet above them for shade.
0: Like a flamingo.
1: They're very large feet on which they hop.
0: That's odd. All I think of is like a flamingo.
1: These are like one of the like races of people that are supposed to live out on the edges of the world, which is why he's here. And also if you're a fan of C.S. Lewis's Narnia books, you'll remember that these guys make a cameo. One of the islands in Voyage of the Dawn Treader is inhabited by them.
0: Oh! Very cool. Did not know that.
1: Thorvald, son of Eric the Red, sat at the tiller, and the monopods shot him with an arrow in the lower abdomen. He drew out the arrow. Then said Thorvald, "'Good land have we reached, and fat is it about the paunch.'"
0: Plentiful indeed.
1: Yeah, this is one of the genre conventions of sagas. People like to have snappy last words, so... (laughs) Yes. Thorvald pulls it out and goes like, "'Wow, look at all this fat that this arrow stuck in. This must have been good land, because I've gained so much weight here.'"
0: Yeah, amazing.
1: Then the monopod leapt away again northwards. They chased after him and saw him occasionally, but it seemed as if he would escape them. He disappeared at a certain creek. Then they turned back, and one man spake this ditty. Our men chased, all true it is, a monopod down to the shore. But the wonderful man strove hard in the race. Hearken, Carl
0: Oh my gosh, I feel like that's just a sea shanty that they ended up carrying back with them.
1: Then they journeyed away back again northward, and saw, as they thought, the land of the monopods. They wished, however, no longer to risk their company.
0: Yeah, you've already lost somebody.
1: Yeah, so they're like, oh, that's the land of the monopods. We always heard it was out here on the edge of the world. But they do shoot at us with arrows, so let's not go. There. Fair enough. They conjectured the mountains to be all one range. Those, that is, which were at Hop, and those which they now discovered. Almost answering to one another. And it was the same distance to them on both sides from There, They journeyed back and were in Straumsfeeder the third winter, then fell them in greatly into backsliding, like, behaviorally. Mm. They who were wifeless pressed their claims at the hands of those who were married. Oh, dear. I mean, as you may have caught on, there are very few women on this journey, and they've been gone for years.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: The pressure of basically not getting laid is getting to these Is
0: getting people. to them. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, they might be getting laid, but not in a way that the saga would want to record. Right. (laughs) A quick note for anyone interested. Homosexuality did in fact exist in Saga Age Iceland because, of course it did. It's not new. It has been a part of human society forever. But it was highly stigmatized because of the toxic masculinity inherent in the culture. Interestingly... As a result of the way that toxic masculinity manifested, it was okay to be in a homosexual relationship as long as you were the top. If you were the bottom, that was what the Icelanders of the time called rauger. At one point in medieval Iceland, it was illegal to call someone rauger because it was considered a killing insult. That is, if you called someone that, they were basically honor-bound to kill you in response. And so, in order to prevent that sort of thing from happening, they banned the word. All that is to say that if the members of this expedition were getting laid despite the absence of single women, the person writing this text would not mention it. And that's why. Oh. Snorri, Carlsepne's son, was born at the first autumn, and he was three winters old when they began their journey home. Wow. Interesting side note. Technically, this is the first European, as far as we know, born in North America.
0: Wow. That is so cool.
1: Yeah. And because of that, when they tried to recreate the journey from Greenland to Newfoundland with a traditional Viking ship back in the late 90s, they named Uh the ship Snorri.
0: That's so cool. Huh. Learn something new every day. So they were there for three years. Yes. That is impressive. That is a very long time to be gone. I'll bet you everybody else thought they were dead.
1: They probably would have stayed permanently, with the exception of trading voyages, if it weren't for the fact that the natives were hostile.
0: Yeah. Oh, for sure.
1: Which they might not have been if they bothered to learn each other's languages, guys. True. God.
0: See, and this is when I start to wonder, okay, is that what happened to... The rest of the voyages that went over that we just never heard from again. Did they just integrate? They probably just integrated or all died. Both are options.
1: Well, if they landed on Newfoundland, another interesting thing about the uh, Biotech is they were noted as being unusually unwilling to deal with Europeans. They just avoided them altogether. Wow. So that makes you wonder, like... Maybe they ran into them a lot and decided that they didn't want any part of this. Like, that was just part of their oral history. It was, oh yeah, we've met these guys from over the ocean. We don't like them. We don't
0: like them. Yeah, yeah.
1: Reasonable enough. Now, when they sailed from Vinland, they had a southern wind and reached Markland and found five skrylings. One was a bearded man. Two were women. Two children. Karlsefni's people caught the children. Why, I don't know. But the others escaped and sunk down into the earth.
0: Okay, I'll just leave that one there. I'm not going to touch that
1: one. <laughs> and they took the children with them and taught them their speech, and they were baptized. See, now they can teach other people their language.
0: Yeah, apparently.
1: The children called their mother Vetildi, and their father Ovagi. They said that kings ruled over the land of the Skrylings, one of whom was called Avatthaman and the other Vatidida. Huh.
0: Have we ever tried, has anyone ever tried reconstructing those names to try and figure out what, local indigenous people like what tribes specifically were there
1: if they have tried reconstructing those names i don't know but we do know they're in labrador which means that they are dealing with the innu or also known as the and this is a frenchified word so i'm gonna say it wrong Montagnais. okay m-o-n-t-a-g-n-a-i-s
0: okay okay Okay. Okay. or
1: innu i-n-n-u not to be confused with the inuit
0: yeah makes sense which actually, the Inuit people went as far south as lower California. And so the natives who originally lived in that area can speak and understand a very similar language to a lot of native Alaskan languages. So there's, a, there's a lot of cultural similarities there, even though it's miles and miles apart. Yeah, they went up and down that entire coastline.
1: That's pretty impressive. Yeah. That's really impressive, considering that kayaks are pretty small, so that must be a difficult journey.
0: Well, hey, you know, they did it, and then on the other hand, we've got these, you know, Vikings who weren't able to go that far south, so.
1: That's true. Uh, But one of the things that kind of also suggests that we're talking about the Innu is this next bit. They said also that there were no houses, and the people lived in caves or holes. Okay. Now, the Innu did not live in caves or holes, but they also did not live in permanent buildings. They lived in portable tents. okay. So it could be that what they learned was, we don't have houses, and the Icelanders interpreted that, oh, you live in caves, like how outlaws do back home.
0: Ah, that makes sense.
1: But really, they mean, like, no, we have...
0: Tents, yeah. The reason why I wouldn't be surprised that they lived in holes is actually because the Aleutian people would dig holes, dig burrows into the ground. And that's where they lived. They made houses deep into the earth because the Aleutian islands are very rugged. There's It's sort of like Iceland. There's no trees there. So you don't build houses. There's nothing to build houses on and you get massive wind gusts. So it's not going to mm-hmm. stay. So you actually did bury holes and make very big cave-like structures.
1: That is super cool. I did not know that. Yeah,
0: it's it's really cool. I've used it for a little bit of world building. They had a very interesting way of developing their culture and fishing, and especially as an island culture. But
1: anyway. They said, moreover, that there was a land on the other side, over against their land, and the people there were dressed in white garments, uttered loud cries, bore long poles, and wore fringes. This was supposed to be Vitramanaland. Land of white men, because they wear white clothes. Okay. I don't know the context of that. Right. Then came they to Greenland and remained with Eric the Red during the winter. Bjarni, Grimolf's son, so the other ship, and his men were carried into the Irish Sea and came into a part where the sea was infested by shipworms. They did not find it out before the ship was eaten through under them. (laughs) Oh boy. Then they debated what plan they should follow. They had a ship's boat, which was smeared with tar made of seal fat. It is said that the shipworm will not bore into the wood which has been smeared to the seal tar. The counsel and the advice of most of the men was to ship into the boat as many men as it would hold. Now when that was tried, the boat held not more than half the men. Oh dear. Then Bjarni advised that it should be decided by the casting of lots, and not by the rank of the men which of them should go into the boat. And inasmuch as every man there wished to go into the boat, though it could not hold all of them, therefore they accepted the plan to cast lots who should leave the ship or the boat. And the lot so fell that Bjarni and nearly half the men with him were chosen for the boat, so then those left the ship and went into the boat, which had been chosen by lot to do so. Makes sense. Yes, that was a very detailed explanation of, like... Casting lots. They cast lots. Yeah. yeah. And when the men were come into the boat, a young man, an Icelander, who had been a fellow traveler of Bjarni, said, Dost thou intend, Bjarni, to separate thyself here from me? It must needs be so now, Bjarni answered. He replied, Because in such case... Thou didst not so promise me when I set out from Iceland with thee from the homestead of my father. Vjarni answered, I do not, however, see here any other plan, but what plan dost thou suggest? He replied, I propose this plan, that we two make a change in our places, and thou come here, and I will go there.
0: Uh, Well, hold on. That's not even what he just said.
1: Kind of boils down to, a lot of this is, uh, since it's Victorian, it's deliberately archaized. is... There's a young man who's like, Bjarni, are you just going to leave me here? You promised my father you'd take care of me. And Bjarni's like, well, yeah. Oh. But we cast lots, and you lost. And the boy's like, well, you promised, so we should switch places.
0: Do the honorable thing.
1: <laughs> Bjarni answered, So shall it be. Oh. And this I see, that thou laborest willingly for life, and then it seems to thee a grievous thing to face death. Then they changed places. All right, way to go. The man went into the boat, and Bjarni back into the ship. And it is said that Bjarni perished there in the Worm Sea.
0: The Worm Sea. All right.
1: Yeah. I wanted to leave that there because I'm like, that's a good name. That is a
0: great name.
1: And they who were with him in the ship. But the boat and those who were in it went on their journey until they reached land and told this story afterwards. The next summer, Karlsepni set out for Iceland and Snorri with him and went home to his house in Ränenes. His mother considered that he had made a shabby match and she was not at home the first winter. But when she found that Guthrie there was a lady without peer, she went home, and their intercourse was happy. The daughter of Snorri son was Halfrith, mother of Bishop Thorlach, the son of Runolf. Halfried and Runolf had a son whose name was Thorbjorn. His daughter was Thorun, mother of Bishop Bjarn. Thorgir was the name of another son of Snorri son. He was father of Ingvild, the mother of the first Bishop Brand. And here ends this story.
0: Well, there we go. I like how it's, we start and end with a genealogy, which is so very Viking.
1: Yeah, that's how it's got to be done. Oh, always. It's always like, here are the great pagan heroes from which we descended, and here are the Christian priests which descended from us. Yes. Because all of the sagas are set like right around the time of the conversion.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's that once upon a time where you can get away with having both pagan magic and a Christian explanation.
1: Future Mac here. Since this episode is approaching the two-hour mark, I have decided it's probably best to cut it here and release the remainder where we do our segments and other discussion next week. So I guess look forward to that. And I'm sorry we're so long-winded. Yeah, that covers it.
0: Thank you for listening to The Maniculum. Please consider leaving a rating and review in Apple Podcasts to help support the project. For more geeky additions, or to see our sources and notes, check out our blog, Marginalia, at themaniculumpodcast.com. You can also join our Facebook group, the maniculum podcast to join in on discussions about all things medieval and feel free to reach out. We're on Twitter at maniculum and on Instagram at maniculum podcast. We'd love to hear from you and special thanks to Sandra Boyle who created the music for our show. You can check out her project sugar glass on Spotify.
1: I think my roommate just got home. Delilah is excited.